Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service, El Monitor. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and each week I'll be speaking with diplomats, the political, business, and thought leaders that are shaping the latest news and trends in the Middle East. This week on our first show, we're going to be talking about Israel, and there is no one better to talk about Israel with than El Monitor's Israel correspondent, Ben Caspin. Ben is one of Israel's must-read and most-read columnists. He's author of the best-selling book, The Netanyahu Years, and host of our other El Monitor podcast, a new one also, called On Israel, which Ben and I will also be talking about. But before I begin our conversation with Ben, let me take a few minutes to go over Six points we want to keep in mind as we think about Israel at this time and what are the challenges it faces. I always like to start with what we call the demographic reality of Israel, because this matters for its politics, for its economics, for its security. Israel has a population of about 8.5 million, growing at 1.64%. 43% are under 24 and the catch here, of course, is that about 1.9 million are Arab citizens of Israel. So that's about 20% or so of the population. And there are another 5 million Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza, whose population is growing at 2.43%. That's just about twice as fast. So that's the first point, Israel's demography. Second, Israel's economy. This is a good news success story over the past decade and a success story for Netanyahu as prime minister. Israel's per capita GDP is just about $43,000. That's 21st in the world. That's a few ticks above France, New Zealand, Japan, Italy, and the UAE. Israel trails only Qatar in the region in this category. Unemployment Last year hit a historic low, about 4%. Women do well in the Israeli economy. And the economy grew last year by 3.5%, led, of course, by the high-tech sector. But, this is a big but, Israel's economy is getting hammered by COVID-19, more so than some of the other countries in the region. Israel's economy is expected to contract by about 6.3% this year. And that's compared to an estimated region-wide contraction of 3.3%. So the economic challenges ahead for the new government in Israel um, remain pretty severe and uh, will obviously shape many of the decisions. And that brings me to my third point. On Sunday, a new government of Israel was sworn in. This took a year and about three tries but here we are, and it's different uh, than what anything Israel has seen in the past. Yes, Benjamin Netanyahu is prime minister, uh, but he has a co-prime minister. Uh, he worked out an arrangement with retired General Benny Gantz, who is head of the opposition Blue and White Party, speaker of the Knesset or Israeli parliament, to have an emergency or a unity government. And this allowed Israel to stave off a fourth election, uh, which many thought could have happened, but Gantz and Netanyahu reached a deal. Now, this is a, a governing arrangement that Israel has 
never had before. And uh, Ben will tell us what we can expect in terms of how governing will work and how it won't work uh, with two prime ministers, if even one at a time. Our fourth point deals with the issue of potential annexation of Jewish settlements in the West Bank. Now, in his inaugural remarks on Sunday, Netanyahu said, quote, the time has come to apply sovereignty to Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria. This won't distance peace. It will bring it closer. Now, this has huge implications for Israel's relations with Egypt and Jordan, with which it has peace treaties, and the United States, which also has close ties to Egypt and Jordan and needs to hear out its own Arab partners. King Abdullah of Jordan, uh, who is a key bellwether of regional tensions and the regional dynamics, had an alarming reaction to this possible uh, annexation, saying last week that there could be, quote, massive conflict if Israel goes ahead with this plan. The Arab League met last month to condemn the possibility of any annexation, which, if it happens, would move the Israeli-Palestinian conflict from the back burner of regional politics, where many thought it has ended up in recent years, to the front burner. All this may come to a head on or about July 1st, when the Israeli parliament can introduce legislation to absorb those settlements. Netanyahu has indicated he would like to go ahead. Gantz is a little more skittish. And that brings us uh, to my fifth point before our conversation with Ben, which we'll get into, which is how does the United States play in all of this? Netanyahu has a fantastic relationship with Donald Trump and probably believes that Trump has his back if he goes ahead with annexation. But the State Department has made clear that if annexation is going to go ahead, it needs to be part of the Trump administration's plan for a peace process, which is what they term the peace to prosperity plan. So the State Department and the administration has stepped back a bit, at least for now. Uh, Ben can help us understand how these dynamics all play out, how this issue of Israel and annexation might play out in the U.S. presidential campaign, and how the U.S. relationship and Donald Trump plays out within Israeli politics. And I might add here that uh, in addition to his very strong relationship with Donald Trump, Benjamin Netanyahu has a longstanding friendship and powerful relationship with uh, Joe Biden as well, the presumed Democratic nominee, who is also quite proud of his friendship with Netanyahu and his strong commitment to Israel. And my sixth point is this is all happening as next week, Prime Minister Netanyahu faces a hearing on bribery charges beginning in the Jerusalem District Court. So hanging over all of these issues remains an issue of Netanyahu being implicated in a court case which begins next week. How will this affect uh, governing in Israel? Ben will help us understand all of this. After this short break, we'll be back for our discussion with Ben Caspin. If 
you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, On Israel with Ben Caspit, and On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Welcome back to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, and we're talking about Israel with Ben Caspit, El Monitor's Israel correspondent and columnist. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Netanyahu Years, and he is host of his own El Monitor podcast called On Israel, which will be launching soon. And we'll get into that with Ben in addition to many other topics. Welcome, Ben. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Andrew. So, Ben, let's get right into it. Uh, you wrote in your book, The Netanyahu Years, which came out in 2017, but still is a standard work uh, to understand Bibi and his road to power and what we might expect from him. And your assessment was that his time in the office is one of what you said is miserably missed opportunity. Although you go on to say that he's a highly talented man, perceptive, intellectual, and charismatic with incomparable verbal abilities and the properties of a superlative politician, but ultimately all these were wasted by his propensity for treading water. Now let's put this in context. Um, There has been some economic success under Netanyahu, which I discussed in the opening. He's had some bridge building to the Arab world. He's maintained solid ties with Jordan and Egypt. The U.S.-Israel relationship is strong. Tell me, what are the missed opportunities and how is he treading water? Let's, let's compare Netanyahu to other Israeli uh, prime ministers and leaders. Yes, he sustained the, the economic success, but you know, if you check up the, the Israeli high-tech industry, it's not because of Netanyahu. And if you have a, a secret vote among the, the, the high-tech leaders in Israel, he will not get any uh, many mandates as he got in the Knesset. But let's take Menachem Begin. He bombed the Iraqi nuclear reactor. He made peace with Egypt. He went to the first Lebanon war. Ariel Sharon, the disengagement, the war on terror in 2001. Ehud Olmert, the second Lebanon war, the the unbelievable uh, offer to to Abu Mazen uh, in uh, 2009. Uh, Yitzhak Rabin, peace with Jordan, uh, Oslo agreements. And and when you check out Netanyahu, nothing historical is out there. And this guy is, is a son of an historian. Listen, Andrew, when I wrote the Netanyahu years, I believe we were approaching their end. 
investigations were already underway and the feeling was that uh, the public had had its feel of Netanyahu. In the meantime, however, the man has shown yet again that he is not going anywhere. Nonetheless, for the first time in his political history, he, was a sell, he has now a sell-by-date carved on his forehead. This week in the Knesset, he announced in his own voice that on November 17, 2021, he will be stepping down in favor of alternate Prime Minister Benny Gantz. And, and, and it's a very good question to ask, what is he going to try and do in these remaining 18 months to, to form a certain legacy? And I think we're talking about the annexation. Let's talk about annexation, Ben, because uh, what I understand is July 1, the Israeli Knesset parliament can introduce legislation to annex some Jewish settlements and communities in the West Bank. This is highly controversial. It was agreed by Gantz as part of uh, the deal, which led to the uh, unity emergency government that we have now. Um, Gantz seems skittish about this. Uh, but Netanyahu, as I mentioned earlier in his inaugural remarks, uh, seems ready to, to go ahead. Uh, do you think he's still seeing this as his legacy? Yes, I think so, because he really believes. Uh, he, he comes from from home with this with this agenda. It's it's not artificial. But as for the annexation, I, I think it's fair to assume that nothing earth-shattering is going to, to take place on July 1st. The same dilemma is being faced also by the American administration as well. Senior members of the administration have already said that July 1st is not a sacred date. The current situation is weird, and I, I think also unprecedented. Our ambassador in Washington, Ron Dermer, is working with all his might to persuade anyone who is willing to listen that this annexation has to take place quickly as possible so long as Trump is president because there is no telling what will happen in November. By, by the way, he's saying, Dermot, that, that, that Biden can win. On the other hand, you have Benny Gantz and Gabi Ashkenazi that are taking a different, uh, cautiously, uh, tone altogether. On the other, on, on one hand, they're embracing Trump's plan. They cannot refuse or say no to Trump. But on the other hand, they are saying that all actions should be coordinated and that we need to maintain, and I quote, our relation with the peace states such as Jordan, Egypt, etc. I think the meetings, the upcoming meetings of Gantz and Ashkenazi with their American colleagues in Washington in the next few weeks are going to be critical. But there is no doubt that Bibi Netanyahu will make a huge effort to to amend the, the, whatever I said uh, before, that he's not having any legacy, and he wants to have this historic annexing of territories in Judea and Samaria, uh, and will, uh, he will like to take full advantage of the Trump presidency. But I seriously doubt that this is going to actually happen. Netanyahu is very smart and very experienced. He knows that the, the repercussions of such annexation he knows it very well, and uh, he will be facing as well a real dilemma. Uh, and, and also, let's, let's see what Gantz will say. Let's see what King Abdullah will say. Let's wait for MBS and MBZ 
to talk to to uh, uh, to President Trump. I think we all, the, the game is only starting now. It's it's not in the middle. It's uh, and the, the the night is still very very young. And let's let's pick up on that. You mentioned uh, several of the key players regarding this issue of annexation, and you said that Netanyahu sees this as a legacy. He's working some channels uh, to try to achieve that legacy, but there are others uh, along the path. Probably the first person in that path is Gantz. And you write in your column yesterday that Gantz will have to display leadership of the kind he appears to lack, tough, confrontational, determined. Gantz must learn to be Netanyahu minus the criminal charges and political views. He will not get a second chance to leave a first impression. Is Gantz up for that challenge? And what do you expect from him on this issue and more broadly in terms of this governing arrangement with Netanyahu? First of all, uh, you know, uh, we just uh, finished our uh, longest ever political uh, deadlock and crisis without uh, an elected prime minister for uh, almost two years, and now we have two. Uh, we got two prime ministers in one ticket, and no one knows how it will work. Gantz is a team player. He's not a guy, he's totally the, the vice versa. Netanyahu is, is uh, taking it, if Netanyahu is black, Gantz is white. He's quiet, he's slow, he's, he's, a, he's a good guy, uh, and he will have to learn to be nasty, to be shrewd, to be cruel, because these are the, the, the phenomena that the Israelis like about Netanyahu. Now, how can he do it? First of all, he has uh, the chief of staff, General Aviv Kohavi. Both of them, Gantz and Kohavi, are from the parachuters. Uh, they are like brothers. They are very, very close, but he will have to show Kohavi some leadership. He, he, he cannot be the, the, the Kohavi's second best. So he will need to be a dominant uh, minister of defense. Then I gamble now. If you will see Gantz suddenly appearing in, uh, in Amman, in a secret meeting with Kina Abdalla, and then the declaration to the press that Israel will not hurt the Jordanian uh, vital interests, etc., this will be a good move. Then, uh, dealing with the American uh, administration. Gantz will try to show and prove that he can do not, not better than Netanyahu concerning President Trump. I don't think that it's possible to do better than Netanyahu in this, in this area, but, but you know, to, to establish a route or, or a, a, a good relations with the president. Uh, by the way, Vaya is, a, is a, our former mini, uh, commander of uh, Air Force, General Amir Eshel, who is now uh, the leader of the Ministry of Defense, Gantz nominated him yesterday. He will need pictures with President Obama. He will need uh, to, to convince the Israelis that this guy can fill a prime minister's suit, can fill a prime minister's uh, residence. No, uh, the Israelis are not uh, convinced because, you know, during the three campaigns, Netanyahu and his uh, partners did everything to smear guns, to prove that he's weak, he's slow, he's, uh, we say in Hebrew, not baked enough, he's not uh, 
is not built from the from the uh, you know from a leadership uh, uh, materials and Gantz have to be a very dominant minister of defense and if you he will try to post, at least postpone annexation and uh, look like a prime minister be a leader it's it's a it's a very good start to, uh, for him being a prime minister and by the way we still did not talk about the elephant in the room uh, which is the, the the huge question that no one can answer will netanyahu leave the prime minister's office on uh, on november 17th 2021 how could he not leave is that not part of the arrangement between he and gantz <laughs> that he is to step down at that time this is a very good question, and I'm smiling here in Tel Aviv because you have to know Netanyahu, you have to be an Israeli to understand that this guy is the modern Houdini. It's not that they agreed. No one is expecting Netanyahu to fulfill his promises or his agreements. No one. But it's all was voted already in the Knesset, you know, on November 17, 2021, nothing need to be to happen it is an automatic pilot it is it is supposed to happen automatically the same day in, in a certain hour Benny Gantz is becoming a prime minister and Benjamin Netanyahu is becoming a, an alternate prime minister but talking about BB he can invent a crisis a war a peace a, the budget will not pass you name it in order to you know to uh, to, to cut the, everything and go to election, but uh, Netanyahu's problem is that according to the, the statute and the law that was already approved and voted in in the Knesset, if he's doing this, the prime minister is automatically Benny Gantz. So Benny Gantz will not get his 18 months as prime minister according to the agreement but only a prime minister or prime minister of the government until the election we're talking about three to five months it's better than nothing but it is worse than one and a half years and uh, I, I think no one is able to gamble or to guess what is netanyahu going to do because listen he was never caught in in fulfilling a promise or a, or an agreement or something so you can really uh, your guess is good as mine and let's, let's come back to uh, Netanyahu's relationship with President Trump. It seems to be a, a very strong personal relationship. Obviously, Netanyahu and many in Israel are, are pleased with Trump's policies, uh, which have included, you know, moving the American embassy to Jerusalem, recognizing Israeli sovereignty over, over the Golan. Uh, so this is a strong relationship. But Netanyahu also has a long-standing friendship with uh, Joe Biden from Biden's time as a senator, where he was deeply involved in foreign policy and uh, as including Middle East policy, and as vice president. You talk about this in your book. You also talk about there was a kind of scratchy incident in 2010. I don't know if any of that uh, lingers, uh, but uh, and Biden's also been a, a good friend of Israel over the years. So is this a, a no-lose proposition for Netanyahu? It's a very uh, good question, and the answer is very complicated. We never had a president, Israel never had a president like Trump. Uh, the Republicans are closer, the Democrats are more uh, skeptic, but when Trump arrives, it totally changed the rules of the game. Uh, 
annexing the, the Judea and Samaria. It's something you could, you could not say in Washington aloud. Uh, recognizing Israel's uh, sovereignty on uh, the Golan Heights, uh, the same. Moving the, 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 the embassy to Jerusalem, things that no president ever even discussed. And suddenly uh, this Trump guy is doing all it. So this is a total different phenomenon. Now talking about Biden is, is really a, a very big and, and a veteran friend of Israel, but you know, the diplomatic incident that took place in the course of uh, his visits, his 2010 visit to Israel was one of the worst in the uh, worst points in the eight years uh, of conflict between Netanyahu and President Obama. Although Biden was considered, as we said, a long friend of Israel with a very lengthy friendship with Netanyahu himself. The fact that he was in Jerusalem when an announcement was made that new tenders were being issued for the building of Jewish neighborhoods in eastern part of the city, simply inflamed Washington, burned Obama's pawn, and resulted in Secretary of State Hillary Clinton calling Netanyahu to scold him for more than 40 minutes. However, after eight years, it became obvious that Netanyahu had managed to outmaneuver, manipulate, and exhaust President Obama while, while drying up the negotiations between Israel and Palestinians. Now, talking about these days, with the approach of November, I believe that there isn't anyone in the world who prays harder than Netanyahu for Trump's victory over Biden. In order to leave uh, the legacy, he means to leave, he needs Trump in the White House. And that's even uh, before we're mentioning even the matter of Iran. And let me ask uh, about another, uh, some more breaking news here in Israel, or kind of breaking news. There seems to now be a cyber war between Israel and Iran. Now, this has been developing over the years, but there have been incidents in the last few days, including uh, a reported Israeli attack on uh, Bandar Abbas in, in Iran, facilities there, and this followed an uh, Iranian attack uh, on Israel, again, in the cyber domain. Tell us how this is developing and where you think this is going. Yes, I, I think no one can deny that there is a war, a cyber war between Israel and Iran for years now. And you can add it to what we call the war between the wars. I'm talking about the, the IDFs and the Israeli Air Force intense activity in Syria against Iranian interests and involvement and military involvement. involvement. But cyber speaking, I, 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 I'm sure you remember the, the incident, I, I think 10 years ago, with the, with the malicious uh, computer war named Stuxnet. Uh, we believe, uh, I cannot confirm it, but it, it was developed uh, according to, to, to media reports by Israel and the United States, and it was planted into the, the Iranian nuclear uh, uh, plan, and it, it was able to cause a lot of damage to, to many gas centrifuges in, uh, in Iran. And this was only one step. It was 10 years ago. Now, this, uh, this war was, uh, has been escalated. And Israel suffered a few days ago a large-scale uh, cyber attack on uh, sewage and, uh, and water infra infrastructure. And uh, mysteriously, uh, yesterday or the day before, there was a cyber uh, counterattack on Bandar Abbas, naval, a huge naval base 
I think the biggest naval base in Iran. I just interviewed in my radio show a Professor General Yitzhak Ben Israel. He's an expert. He's the head of the Israeli space plan. And he said, he, can, he of course could, could not confirm anything and no one took responsibility, in, uh, not in Iran, either in Tel Aviv. But he said, whoever attacked the Bandar Abbas naval uh, base knew exactly what he's doing. But frankly uh, speaking, uh, Andrew, I prefer cyber wars on uh, real wars. Don't you? Yes. Um, we've got a few more minutes, Ben. I want to get into two topics. Uh, there's a trial coming up next week, or a trial opens next week on bribery charges against Prime Minister Netanyahu in the Jerusalem District Court. Where do you see this case going, and how will it affect his ability to govern? Yes, actually, we're we speaking about his legacy. Right now, his real legacy, unfortunately for him, will be him standing on Sunday. I think it will be a, a 3 p.m. Israel time in the, the district court in the Eastern Jerusalem, by the way, and they're facing uh, charges in bribery, fraud, and a breach of trust. He will be the first Israeli prime minister that is facing a, a, a criminal trial while in office. As we remember, Ehud Olmert resigned before he was charged with the, with the charges. But as for the trial, Netanyahu will manage to obtain exemptions from having to appear in some of the debates. Right now, just today, he filed, his lawyers filed a plea not to come to the first meeting on Sunday. I'm almost sure that the judges, there are three judges, will reject this plea because the first meeting is a significant one. You know, it's uh, the, the beginning of the trial and if a, if a citizen in Israel cannot escape from such a meeting, there is no reason that they will give a, 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 the Prime Minister a break. But uh, listen, Andrew, Netanyahu is a man who is capable, and I'm not exaggerating, of working 20 hours a day for weeks. So he'll, he'll have no problem managing the, this uh, very difficult country uh, while uh, on a trial simultaneously. He's already succeeded in accustoming public opinion to the incredible event, just as he's accustomed us to the very fact that the country is being led by the very same man that the country is accusing of bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. But this will be, I'm going to be in the trial hall on Sunday, and I, I think I will not believe my eyes because he is a prime minister for uh, over the uh, 11 consecutive years now. And to see him, to see the, the, the criminal charges, the state of Israel against Benjamin, the son of Ben Zion and Tzila Netanyahu, will be a very difficult moment, even for a guy like me that is, is not a Netanyahu supporter, and I think as, as well as historic one. And before we wrap up, tell us about your podcast. This is another new El Monitor uh, podcast called On Israel, which starts next week. Listen, uh, first of all, uh, I wish you a lot of success in this one that we're just uh, wrapping up. 
Uh, and uh, about mine, we, Israel is a chaotic place. I think the, 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 the most chaotic place on earth. As I said before, we just finished a, 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 an unbelievable two years, three consecutive campaigns. The Israeli society is deeply divided between many tribes. Uh, the Israeli public is deeply divided between two groups, no left, no right. It's pro-Bibi and anti-Bibi. And I will try with the, in each podcast with a guest, I think I will try it. I will make an effort for the guests to be leaders, to be uh, public opinion leaders, to be political leaders, interesting Israeli, prominent Israelis. And we will try to make an order in this chaos. And I promise you, we will fail. But I always, I, I, I uh, uh, also promise you that it will not be, a, a, you will not be bored. Uh, there is never a dull moment in Israel. And uh, I think the podcast will be as well. Ben, I'm looking forward to that podcast. I know we will not be bored. I know you won't fail. Uh, I've learned a lot talking with you today, as I always do. So I would remind our uh, listeners, you can tune in to On Israel starting next week. It's another one of the Almonitor uh, podcasts. And you can read Ben twice a week at almonitor.com. So Ben, Thank you very much. Appreciate uh, your comments here today and the looking forward to your podcasts and the articles to come. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Welcome back to On the Middle East. And I just want to close with uh, one thought on one point that Ben Kasbett made in that fantastic conversation just now. If Prime Minister Netanyahu decides to proceed, with annexation of Jewish settlements in the West Bank in the name of his legacy. Uh, What would be interesting is that that legacy by Netanyahu would be in conflict with the legacies of two previous Israeli prime ministers, Menachem Begin and Itzhak Rabin, who made peace with Egypt and Jordan respectively. There's a lot of risk involved in proceeding with annexation, uh, it's opposed by Gantz, it's opposed by others in the Israeli parliament, it's opposed by Egypt and Jordan, with whom Israel has invested a lot in terms of its diplomatic and security relationships, by other Arab states, by the European Union, by the United Nations. And, and the Trump administration, too, is kind of signaled a, a yellow light by saying, look, if you're going to discuss this matter, uh, it needs to be discussed in the context of the Trump peace plan. That is implying that it should not be taken unilaterally. That's the Trump administration stance for now. It may not be the end of the story, as Ben pointed out, because Netanyahu may see an opportunity while President Trump is in office and during an election year. And uh, he may be willing in that context to taste the risk and push ahead. We'll be returning to these and many other topics in the coming weeks. I want to again thank Ben Caspit for an amazing conversation to get this new wave of El Monitor podcast started. And please sign up and listen next week and every week to On the Middle East. We will be talking with those leaders and decision makers who are making the news and shaping the trends in this fascinating region. 
I'm Andrew Parasoliti, and thank you for listening.